0: Obviously, I'm not Pastor Kevin. He and Pastor Sherry are out this weekend. Um, We hope they have a good time and get some refreshing as they travel a little bit. Excuse me. So first service, we had a really good prayer time afterwards, so I'm hoping that we're going to continue that as we move forward. But first, I have a question. How many of you have ever just felt weak and weary and needed strengthening, <laughs> right? That never happens, right? No, we're all, we're all great. We're always perfect Christians and everything's cool. You know, there's never anything wrong. You know, as Pastor Kevin says, God bless, hallelujah. That's the way it is. But that's not reality, right? I mean, life's not really like that. So we all go through times in our life, um, oftentimes it happens a lot where in one week you'll have a really great high, everything's going well, and then something comes crashing down and you feel like you're in the pit of despair, right? Like you're in the depths of it and you just need something to help you, to bring you back up and strengthen you physically sometimes, but oftentimes spiritually. These attacks are normal. This, this is kind of something that just happens um, if you're an active Christian and you're doing things that God tells you to do, it's probably going to happen more often than not because the enemy is going to want to attack you rather than somebody who's just sitting in a pew, sucking up oxygen and claiming to be a Christian. But if you're active out there and doing things, you can expect these. So how do we combat that? And that's what we're going to talk about today is how we move through these things. So David should be no surprise to anyone, right? If they've been around for a little bit, David was the second king of Israel. But it took a long time from the time that he was anointed as king to the time that he actually assumed the throne. And during this time, a lot of things happen, right? He kills Goliath. He becomes a soldier. He becomes um, a son-in-law to the king, uh, a great military commander in Israel. And then everything just kind of starts waning, and, and Saul turns against him because... He thinks that David's trying to usurp him. And this happens about the time that he realizes that the anointing has really gone off of his life. And so he starts going after David, the next anointed king. David doesn't really understand why this is happening a lot of times. So he flees, right? And, and he spends years trying to evade Saul and run away and preserve his life because he doesn't want to be the one to kill the king. He has a couple of opportunities to do that. And he forgoes that in favor of maintaining his relationship with the Lord and not offending him by killing the currently anointed king. So during one of these stretches, he takes his, his men, which is about 600 men that he has at this point, and their families, about another six to 700, and he moves to Philistia, right? To the territory of the Philistines. And he seeks refuge there, because he doesn't wanna be in Israel and have to confront Saul. So he's kind of emotionally worn out with all of this running for the last few years. Then you add into that, he's not even in his homeland. He's in the land of a foreigner. And it kind of weighs on him. And they go out and they're doing a few things here and there. They're doing some raiding and, and whatnot against the enemies of Israel. And during that time, an attack happens where they're staying. It's, called, it's a place called Ziklag, right? So their families are there, including David's and two of his wives. The Amalekites attack Ziklag while they're gone. And when they return, the city's on fire. Their families are all gone. And his men are starting to turn on him. So in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, this is what it says. And David was greatly distressed. Yeah, I would be too if I came home, right? And it's on fire. My family's missing. And all of my loyal men are starting to wonder if they're doing the right thing and following me. And maybe they just need to get rid of me. And I'm the problem. I'd be a little worried too. So he's greatly distressed. For the people, meaning his men, have spoke of stoning him. Because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters who were captured and taken away. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, excuse me, his God. So it mentions this act, right? He strengthens himself, but it doesn't really tell us how. So we're going to dissect that a little bit and figure out how we can strengthen ourselves as we move forward. So if we fast forward a little bit to Isaiah, chapter 41, verse 10, it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you in my righteous hand. Okay, so there has to be a relationship, right? So that's what Isaiah is saying here. There's got to be a relationship between you and God because you can't do it yourself. You've got to have that symbiotic relationship and rely on God to strengthen you. Okay, but again, how do we do that, right? Just having a relationship with someone doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to happen. You have to strengthen that relationship in and of itself and build that. So we're going to fast forward to Paul. When he's talking to the church at Ephesus, he's giving them some advice. And he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This is in Eph- uh, Ephesians 6.10. This is the last verse right before he goes in to the armor of God, right? So then he gives instruction on how to gird yourself and how to protect yourself, right? Using the full armor of God. Okay, so there's an instruction there on how to strengthen yourself and then, excuse me, how to be strong in the Lord's might. Okay, so we understand that. That's great. What else though? So later on, he's talking to the Hebrews about disciplining yourself and how to build your own strength. And he says, this is Hebrews 12, 12 and 13, therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather healed. Okay, so if we break that down a little bit, you and your strength, you have to seek the strength of God in order to restore yourself, right? Healing is just a restoration of the original product. The original product being what was made in the garden, healing is simply a restoration of that, right? So in order to do that, you have to seek it. Okay, so we have to be active in this. It's not just going to happen. So in order for us to strengthen ourselves and to receive the gifts, we have to be active, right? We have to have an active relationship. And then further, we have to actively seek these things, healing, restoration, etc. So Paul had a a mentee right he was a mentor to, to several one of those was timothy and he gives a lot of advice to Tim, to timothy there's two letters specifically first and second timothy right that we talk about a lot and in second timothy chapter 2 verse 1 he says you then my child this is an endearment right saying he looks at him as though he's his son be strengthened by the grace that is in christ jesus what is grace anybody anybody remember what grace is what Power, moving, in love, right? Okay, perfect. First service didn't get that. So, kudos to second service. Okay? So then he says, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So, spiritual power, moving, in love, right? So you have the grace that is in Jesus, strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus, and then taking that and telling others about it right what do we call that evangelism. evangelism testimony witness all kind of synonyms right okay so a little bit further in chapter 4 of 2nd timothy verse 16 he says that my defense no one came to to my support but everyone deserted me right this is paul talking about when everybody just kind of goes around him suddenly may it not be held against them he's forgiving them but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. When everyone else was gone, who was there? Jesus, right? Not Frank, you know, not your buddies, not anybody else. Jesus. So how do we do this, right? There, there's, there's a few different ways that we can strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And this worship this morning, this afternoon rather, was a perfect example and this one was even, this, this second service was even better than first, so you guys are winning in, in more ways than one. You know, the, the flags came out, I saw dancing, all sorts of stuff, which helps to strengthen yourself in the Lord, right? Yes, ma'am. Oh, hallelujah, yes. Okay. I thought you had a question. All right. So worship is one of those. Singing, some of us probably shouldn't sing in public. Um, but you know what, sometimes, sometimes you need to uh, let it out, so do that like I do, privately. Um, play music. One of the things that, that helps me a lot, and I've, I've said this before to the men's group and, and to others, at work, especially if I know that I have a contentious meeting, or things are just going crazy, you know, or uh, the team is just having issues, um, I usually do it with earbuds, right? I'll throw on some some music and a few different songs, some of which were were, uh, in this morning's lineup. And that helps get me into a good mindset and not kind of jump the gun and get a little emotional going into some meetings when I know there's going to be contention. Um, That's just one thing that I do. I mean, it may not work for you, it works great for me. It certainly helps to calm me down and uh, refocus me. Dancing. Not my thing, right? But, you know, Kevin says it all the time. It may not be my thing, it's Jesus' thing. Also happens to be my wife's thing. It's not my thing, okay? So do what you need to do. If Jesus is telling you to do it, do it, okay? But it will help strengthen your relationship and it will help strengthen your spirit against whatever is going to come uh, in contention. Um, continuous communication with God, okay? So prayer, right? We talk about this all the time, and, and some people, it took me a long time to kind of get away from this uh, mentality that prayer was a task, not a continuous, almost like an app running in the background, right? Where it's still doing things. When when Paul says, pray without ceasing, it took me a long time to understand what that means. Um, it's really more like, your spirit being in communication with the Holy Spirit throughout the day. Not, you know, you constantly walking around, you know, praise God, hallelujah, you know, at work, looking kind of weird. That's not, that's not what they're talking about, right? It's just a, a constant internal communication with the Holy Spirit. Um, meditation. We're not talking about Eastern meditation, crossing your legs and sticking your arms out or anything like that, right? If you have a scripture or a thought that you're just going through, right, line by line in your head, and you continue to meditate on it, that's what meditation means, to to dwell on something, to dwell on it throughout the day, right? Sometimes it takes longer. Sometimes it takes way longer than we want, but we're on God's timing, not ours. Scripture, right? It should be obvious, all right? no kidding scriptures are you know okay yeah did you know that in north america the church only about eight percent of christians in north america have actually read through their bible completely i don't think that's the case in this church i hope not but that is one statistic that's out there and i find it appalling um there are so many ways to do it these days and i'm not saying run through it although I've done that, you know, and maybe God's calling you to just run through it so it's sitting there uh, in the back of your mind or it's sitting there in your spirit. That's awesome. But go through it systematically. Matt um, issued a challenge to his youth group here a couple years ago, and they've done it at least twice now to roll through the entire Bible in six months. I'm not saying you got to do that. I'm not saying you got to do it in a year. I'm just saying get something. With all the apps that we have today on our phones and our you know, iP- excuse me, iPads and stuff like that, you can play it while you're in the shower and you can multitask, right? Okay? It's more about getting it in you and dwelling on it than it is the task itself. Okay? There are many ways to do that, whatever works for you. I'm an auditory learner, so audio stuff works great for me. I know people can't do that at all with a book instruction anything doesn't work for them figure out what works for you and do it and if it's no more than you know a few verses a day it's a great place to start proverbs has 31 chapters in it there's about 31 days in every month february's a little short and half the other half of the months are a day short read a chapter a day start there Move forward. Challenge yourself to do something else. And if, for whatever reason, you lapse a little bit, don't beat yourself off about it. Pick it up and do it again. The last one that, that we've identified on how to strengthen yourself is testimony. So we're going to do some of that this morning. We have some lined up. We're going to go through the power of testimony and why it's important. And then we're going to show, showcase a few here for you. The definition of testimony is someone stating what has happened. That's it. Whether it's legal or it's in the church, it's just a statement of what has happened. Some people call it witness. Some people call it testimony. It doesn't matter. They're interchangeable in this realm. Okay? So one of the first uh, things that I found is, you know, David likes to, to write and sing and, and do all these kind of things, Right? So in Psalms 9, he's writing, he actually sends this to the choir master. And verse 1 says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. Okay? So he starts this song off saying that he's going to actually go through and talk about everything that that you've done for me, right? I'm going to go back and I'm going to think about it and I'm going to look and see what the Lord has done for me over the course of my life. And with, with a life like his, there's plenty of material, right? So he's going to start, this is just for him to go back through. This song will eventually be set out to all of Israel. But in the moment, it's just for him. Later on in verse 11, same chapter, it says, Sing the praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds, right? So again, same thing. So this is what he's done for me. Now we're going to go out and tell everybody else, right? What's happened? What has he done? These are the things that we need to spread and move around. Why? Because it helps strengthen everybody. He as king needs to be strong, but the people need to be strong as well because if they're not, the whole thing's going to fall apart. When Jesus reaches... Uh, into Samaria he stops at a well right well most of us should know you should know the story of the woman at the well I'm not going to go into it completely but she's a Samaritan he's a Jew there's already a problem right Samaritans were not well liked by the Jews they're a, a combination of two different peoples there's a lot of backstory there anyway they didn't get along and it was kind of a no-no for them to be even seen together yet he waits specifically for her at the well She comes, they have an exchange in which he reveals to her everything about her life. How does this guy know any of this, right? He's a Jew, he's never been here before, I've never seen this guy before, yet he's telling me everything that has happened in my life in detail. Not just, you know, like we think about it, oh, you were born and, you know, this happened and this happened. No, he's giving specific details, how many times she's been married, right? Right? That she's not currently living with her husband, these kinds of things, and it amazes her. She then turns around, after all this, and runs back to the town, and starts spreading the word of who this guy is. Right, again, a Jew in Samaria. So, this is what happens in verse, uh, just as John chapter four, verse thirty-nine. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me, he told me all that I ever did, okay? So again, he's explaining to her everything about her life, right? So she's shocked, she turns around, she goes, she starts spreading the word, and everybody's kind of like, okay, let's see. So the first thing that happens here is she takes what happened to her, she turns around, she tells everybody else, right? Gets them excited, energized, and now they're curious. So then they turn around, they invite Jesus to spend a few days with them. He spends two days there in that town. And in verse 42, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So, okay. So now we have their interaction. It's gone up a level, right? The first level, she has this interaction, turns around, tells people. Now they, in turn, want to confirm. They confirm. Now they believe, right? Her ability to testify to what happened to her builds the faith in others because now they come and seek the same thing, right? Okay. So when Paul was speaking to an unruly crowd, this is in Acts chapter 21, uh, verse 37, and then goes into 22. But to sum it up, Paul's speaking to an unruly crowd um, and shares his testimony about Christ. He chooses to share that rather than anything else. He could have preached on anything. He specifically shared his experience on the Damascus Road so that they would understand, because they knew who he was, right? They knew that he was a Pharisee, that he had been stoning and condoning the, the killing of Christians, the martyrdom of Christians, and suddenly he's turning around and he's now a Christian. This doesn't make any sense. They're all mad, they don't understand, so he turns around and he tells them exactly what happened and it builds their faith. Many of them come over and convert to Christianity from what I presume at this point is Judaism because it's in Damascus. How many of you guys remember the story of the leper, right? When Jesus heals the leper. So this happens. There's several different places this happens. I'm specifically taking that to Luke because Luke's a little bit more detailed and um, how it works. But <clears throat> Jesus is coming into town this man with leprosy just comes up and runs up to him and throws himself at his feet, right? And in Genesis chapter 5, verse 12, he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Okay, that seemed, to us today, that seems like a no-brainer, right? Because we're used to these things. We're, we're used to Jesus working on that kind of thing. This is a watershed at that point, right? So he comes up, he makes this declaration. So he's declaring his faith. Jesus sees it, and he's like, okay. So then he looks at him, reaches out his hand, touches the man, and he says, yeah, I'm willing. Looks at him and says, be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left. If you guys have never seen pictures of leprosy or what it looks like, oftentimes it attacks um, extremities first, right? Fingers and toes. They end up literally just falling off because they're dying. The face, the nose oftentimes is a casualty of this. So instead of having a nice solid nose, imagine it cut off and you see the cavities, right? It attacks the facial features, eats away at the skin. So what you end up seeing is you end up seeing a rather revolting image, right? So he has all this, likely living in a leper colony. And as soon as Jesus says, be clean, it's healed, right? Restoration, it's pretty dramatic. Right, so he turns around. Basically, it's like he can't believe it. Jesus orders him not to tell anybody. It says literally, "Don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them." Yet, the news about him spread all the more. So the crowds of people came to hear uh, Jesus and be healed of their sicknesses. So he turns around and he's so excited. This is kind of how I imagine it, right? That he just, he's literally running towards the priest and he's shouting, you know, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. And people know him in the city. Right, they've seen him. He's been begging, most likely at the gate. That's generally what lepers did at that point. And they see the restoration. That restoration that they now witness on someone that they knew leads to huge crowds coming to Jesus, right? Seeking the same. Healing, restoration. Etc. Okay. A little while later, this takes place in Matthew eight. We see the centurion. This one I find interesting personally. As a military guy, I served nine years in the army, and well, just shy. And so for me, I kind of understand where the centurion's coming from in this. And if you don't know, understand what that is, the centurion is like a, the senior enlisted rating in the Roman army. He's the the biggest, baddest one there is. That's how you get that rank, is killing more than everybody else and being stronger and tougher. That's the way it is. That's how you become a centurion in the first century Roman army. So you have this guy. He comes up. This happens in Capernaum. Jesus enters the city and he says, Lord, first, that's strange, right? He's a Roman, a Gentile, and he's referring to a Jew as Lord. That's the first thing that's odd. However, I can understand to a point it's as an honorific that he might say that. So then he says, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Okay. Why, why is a Gentile coming to a Jewish holy man? Right? That's strange. So he recognizes that there's something there. Either he has seen or heard what Jesus has done. So he's like, well, if it works for them, why can't it work for me? Right? So he goes up and he says, hey, this is what's going on. And then Jesus says, shall I come and heal him? What's his response? No, you don't need to do that. Right? He says, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes. I tell this one come and he comes. So he's saying, "No, no, you don't even have to do that. All you got to do is, I, I have enough faith that you say do it and it happens." Amen. Right? From a Gentile in this time. So it's kind of strange, right? I mean, it's not, it's not a normal thing that you would expect to see at that time. Okay. So what does that tell us, looking at this? God doesn't have to be there, right? You don't have to have him standing directly in front of you, he can do it at any time. The key is, how do we get there? Okay, we'll get to that in a minute. Long story short, Centurion goes home, his servant's healed. I assume he's getting him a glass of wine after that, you know, putting his feet up, relax a little bit, okay? Cool? So now we have confirmation. When Jesus is on the cross, again, it's a little while later. Jesus is on the cross. He's been there for a little while. It's a Friday, right? It's Friday afternoon. Romans want to have their weekend. So what do they do? Say, hey, this execution's taken a little too long. If you don't know, crucifixion is a very slow, painful death, right? You actually die from asphyxiation when the muscles finally give way and they can't lift themselves up anymore to catch a breath is when they die from asphyxiation. So to speed this up, because it, it could take days, sometimes what they do is they take a rod, um, think about like a baseball bat, but a little longer, and crack the lower legs, right? Break the shins. So they can't stand up anymore to catch that breath. So it speeds their death. So they do this to two of the thieves, right? They get to Jesus and they figure out he's dead already. So to confirm this, what do they do? They hit him with a spear, right? In the side. So, but when they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead. This is uh, John chapter 19, verse 33. They did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Okay, so now... We're going to focus on somebody else there. The man who saw it has given testimony. Remember, John's writing after the fact, right? So he's writing in a past tense. So he's saying, look, we have confirmation of this because this guy was there and he told us, okay? So, because John wasn't there himself. So the man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you may also believe. Okay? So again, he's testifying so that you can understand what's going on so that you can believe. Okay? We got that. But here's the kicker on this. These things happened so that Scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. So at that moment, there's two, there's two prophecies that are actually fulfilled. One, you know, his, his legs weren't broken so there were no bones broken. But two, the blood and water. Right? So, we have a, 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 an eyewitness testimony here who is now doing this to build up the faith of others. Right? When we read scripture, that's what we're, we're reading. We're reading an account, a testimony, a witness of what happened. Some of those might be historical. Some of those might be gospels like these ones or letters or et cetera. But the whole point of it is that the entire Bible is a witness to what has happened. Right? So a little bit later, and these, this has yet to be fulfilled. This is in Revelation chapter 12, um, verses 10 and 11. The, the war, now mind you, this is John seeing this, right, in his vision. He sees this war in heaven between Michael, who's leading the uh, angelic forces, and the devil and his forces, right? He's referred to as the dragon here. They have this huge battle. The dragon and his forces lose, right? The devil and his forces. So here it says, Then I heard a loud voice in in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumph over him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. That's important, right? If you cling to anything out of this, it's that. We receive victory over the enemy with two things, the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony, right? So that together is where we're going to move today. So we're going to move into a little bit of testimonies here so that we can help build each other's uh, strength right? We haven't done anything like this in a long time. Um, So just a second, I got to go first. (laughs) Okay, sorry. Um, So some stuff on my side, right? Because I want to give a couple examples from my life, and then we're going to have a couple ladies come up and give some examples from theirs. So um, I mentioned earlier, you know, that I was in the army for about nine years, and uh, what? I I thought I heard a squeak over there. I heard you. So um, during that time, I had the privilege of leading a team of Explosive Ordnance Disposal Technicians, or for those of you guys who don't know, it's the Army's version of a bomb squad uh, for 15 months in Iraq. And it was probably one of the weirdest times because there was a big shift happening. From early 2007 to about March 2008, we ran in one of the busiest areas of the country, one of the most dangerous areas of the country. So it's myself and a few other guys. And over the course of that time, I'd look around and there were casualties in the units that we supported. There were some issues in our unit. Um, But over that entire 15 month period, the closest that any of our guys came on my team to even a scratch Uh, from the enemy was a piece of fragmentation, we call it frag, about this big from an IED that exploded down the road cutting across the top of his boot like this. It left a very faint, I mean we we could hardly tell it even happened, a very faint scratch. Didn't even cut a lace on his boot. That's the closest any any of us actually came to any kind of casualty response on our team. Our company was not so fortunate, but our team. So it took me a long time to kind of figure out why that was right? Um, mostly because I'm dense sometimes. And, you know, it, it's gone. That's the only explanation I can come up with, is that we had so many things happen. Um, one of those, I'm only going to give a, a, a one or two examples. We were doing what's called a snatch and grab. So a snatch and grab is when you have a specific target that you're going in to an area to get, but you don't want to kill them, right? You're just there to pull them out so you can interrogate them, right? So uh, we're going in, and, and they asked for, we, we served us an infantry unit, and so they asked us to come along for support, and I was like, yeah, sure. So we're driving along, we're on a, a dirt road, right, and of course we take the hardest way in because we figure it's the least likely to have any kind of obstacles, so we, we're coming off this dirt road, we're making a 90-degree turn onto a hardball road, a blacktop road, and it just didn't seem right to me. We're going about 35 miles an hour and I feel like I feel something to say, "Hey man, just just punch through the corner, just accelerate through this." So I told my driver, I said, "Hey, I want you to I want you to punch it around the corner." And he kind of looked at me like, "Why would I do that?" I said, "Because I told you to." <laughs> and so, he's like, "Okay." So we get up to the corner, we kind of fishtailed around that corner, right, in a Humvee, which is not the smartest of ideas because they roll pretty easy. But So we fishtail around this corner and no sooner do we clear the corner than an explosion happens directly behind us on our bumper. I'm sitting on about 30 pounds of explosives at this point and I thought I was dead because you know they're not sealed very well so all the dirt and debris and stuff you know comes up in through the the doors and stuff. I thought I I was that was it I was ready to meet Jesus and I was like all right well so be it and then I start hearing radio chatter I was like oh. Maybe we're not dead. So, so I looked around. I'm like, nope. We're all here. And I asked the guys on the intercom if they were all right. And uh, they both said, yeah. I said, okay. So we kept going. And uh, when we stopped and, and everything was done, I got a chance to talk to the, the guys in the Humvee behind us. And they said, dude, it went off right on your bumper. And we had no, we had nothing. Our truck was fine. Their truck, they were... A good 40 feet behind us, both their headlights were blown out. They had debris on the hood and uh, a little bit on top, like asphalt and stuff. Um, but everybody was okay. So, you know, that's one of many. There are many, many other stories that I can tell you. First couple times I got shot at, you know, bullets whizzing by and things like that. But um, the the strength, or excuse me, the protection of the Lord is there whether you realize it or not. If he can do it for me, he can do it for you. Okay? So, we're going to fast forward a little bit to earlier this year. On February 10th of this year, it's a Thursday night, I'm heading home from work. I work the afternoon shift, and it's about 11 o'clock at night. And I live in Homestead, so, you know, I was just driving along. I'd just gotten off the turnpike on 288th and heading west. Um, I get into a head-on collision going about 35 miles an hour and we both walked away right away. Everything was fine. You know, I mean, it's fine as it could be, right? I mean, you just go through this, but your adrenaline's going. My, adre- my adrenaline was, was up. And so I didn't really feel much, you know, if there was anything wrong. And I decided to wait until the next morning to go to the hospital because I wanted the adrenaline to subside and I wanted to sleep because I was tired. So I go to the hospital the next day, they're like, yeah, okay, you know, everything looks okay. All right, well, over the next couple of weeks, I just start feeling my back starts hurting, my neck starts hurting. I had a lot of injuries when I was in the army, you know, nine years of doing that craziness, will do that. So all that started coming back, knees, ankles, shoulders, you know, hips, everything. And uh, I was really not feeling that great. So I ended up going to physical therapy and tried the doctor thing, did medication, um, and it was doing okay, but it wasn't doing great, you know. Um, It helped out a little bit. And then we went on a road trip up to Virginia in May. And so, you know, it's a couple months later and everything was doing okay, Um, but during that time, it's really, really started to flare up. And it turns out that as a result of the accident, I had three herniated discs in my back, right? But, you know, we were taking care of that through physical therapy and stuff. And the road trip, I guess, just aggravated it to the point where it just wasn't cooperating. And there were a couple days there where I wasn't doing very good. Um, several times where I couldn't really move, you know, I was laying on the bed and that was about it. And, uh, on the drive home, um, you know, we were driving back, we we're switching back and forth, and uh, I was driving, and it got to the point where I couldn't handle the pain anymore. Um, like, I was, Diana seems to think I have a very high pain tolerance, I don't know about that, but I was nearly in tears, right? And I, and I told her, I said, listen, you gotta take over, I can't do this. And so she actually drove the rest of the way home, which is pretty amazing, but I spent the next four hours sitting in the passenger seat, which is kind of strange for me, right? I usually do the driving. So sitting in the passenger seat and this ache, pain, whatever you want to call it, is just coursing through my body. So I spent those four hours systematically going through and praying for everything I could think of from head to toe, right? And just rebuking and and cutting and doing everything I could. By the time we get home, I can get up and walk out and I'm doing better, you can ask her. You know, I'm doing better at that point. Um, it doesn't feel uh, nearly as bad, and then over the course of the next few weeks, so it didn't happen instantaneously, that's what, what I want you to understand, it didn't happen instantaneously. It did get better, but now I'm to the point where I can actually golf again. I'm not necessarily good at it, but I can golf again, right? Yesterday I was throwing, you know, logs around the yard, you know, uh, big chunks of oak and stuff, I would, no way I would have been able to do that a few months ago. And so the, specifically the stuff that happened from the accident I have pretty much recovered from at this point. I don't see any issues. A few other things from, from before, yes. But it's amazingly different. And like I said, she'll testify to it that it, it's just been an, an amazing recovery from the accident. So With that, we're going to call up Shirley and Rika, and they're going to talk a little bit about some things that they've experienced. Got it? Okay. So Shirley has led quite an interesting life. and has all sorts of stuff. Now I don't know exactly what they're gonna talk about. We didn't, we didn't coordinate that beforehand. So um, I'll be just as surprised as you. So let's hear it. Shirley, what do you got for us?
1: Good afternoon. Um, good <laughs> afternoon. Uh, several things. The first one I'm gonna talk about is you want a, a miracle, and, and I'm a miracle. You're all miracles. Uh, this summer, I, um, I started out with uh, laryngitis, turned to bronchitis, turned to bronchial pneumonia, turned to cancer of the lungs and lymph, and um, spent a good share of a month in the hospital, like, you know, maybe 89 days. And uh, they discharged me, but the miracle is uh, that I want to point out is two people from church, because the ambulance doesn't take calls from the hospital to take you home after a certain hour, two people from church came to pick me up. And they brought my oxygen, my oxygen tank. I, because I, would, they, I was on constant oxygen. I couldn't go without oxygen for even a minute. And they weaned me down to four liters. Uh, right now i, I breathe out but i the I got down to the vehicle and the hospital took their oxygen off me and I'm in their vehicle and my tank regulator is broken, no oxygen. We tried to get the nurse to give, give us a part to fix my oxygen because we had to go from downtown Miami to Kendall, which as you know takes a little while. Well, Especially in traffic. <laughs> yeah. and, and so we're sitting there waiting and waiting and, and they told me when I left, if I come back to the hospital, they're going to put me in a nursing home. Well, they tried to do it when I was there and I, I fought it. So I wasn't about to go to the ER to get oxygen because I wasn't going to go to a nursing home. So I told the two people, I, I told the husband, I said, listen, get this car on the road. The Lord is gonna transcend us. We're not gonna have any traffic. There's gonna be no delays. We're just gonna go through. And, and the wife um, was medical personnel, and um, she said, what's your oxygen? What's your, Because I, I run with this. And um, I said, oh, it's good, it's good. So we started out from downtown Miami. We were transcended to Kendall. I had no oxygen in my, you know, for my face, for my breathing. I never went below 98. The whole time from downtown Miami to Kendall. What I didn't have my walker to get from the car to my apartment. So the individual basically got me to my apartment, which was totally exhausting because I hadn't been out of the hospital bed in a month. Uh, I mean, this is all what God can do if you trust God. I said, God, it's all up to you because I'm not going in the nursing home. Got up to my apartment, put on the oxygen at home to recover but but the whole time I never went below 98, the search. Now the next day I tried to repeat it at home. I took the oxygen off. I couldn't go a minute without the oxygen but God God brought us home safely. We were transcended with no traffic jams at night. And I didn't go below 98 all the way home. And I mean, God is good, trust him, trust him. He is awesome if you trust him, because God was the only one in the name of Jesus that could accomplish that miracle in Jesus name. Okay, um, now I, I, wanna, I wanna share with you um, to listen to, to God's voice. Uh, this miracle is awesome. It was a, a weekend and you know, you like to sleep late Saturday morning if you get up early all week long. And this was Saturday morning about 4 a.m. God woke me up and said, I want you to drive to 50 miles north to a restaurant to meet a person there that needs prayer. Well, okay, I listened to God. So got already, got on the highway, got to this restaurant, and was sitting there, I ordered my breakfast, and in comes two ladies. One looked pitifully sick, and the other one happened to be a nurse. So I finished my breakfast and I talked to everybody. I just talked to everybody and um, if they let me and <laughs> I walked over to their table and I started a conversation. She had a, it was football season, it was, the, it was the Saturday before Thanksgiving, it was football season, and she had a U hat on. Those bandanas, like skull hats. And I complimented her to open the conversation. Well, come to find out, that week she was informed that Stage four cancer, she would not live to Christmas. And the nurse, her RN, brought her out of the house to try to lift her spirits. But God did it because God took me 50 miles to get to where she was in her hometown. So talking like we are now, sharing testimony, and I said to her, when you feel that you can receive a healing You just say, pray for me." So I got talking about all kinds of things, what I'd seen the Lord do, and all of a sudden she said, pray for me. Grabbed her hands, I prayed for her. You can do it too, it's God, not me, it's God. Prayed for her, and as an act of faith, thanked the Lord, she could feel something different because Jesus was there. The whole restaurant, about 200 people I heard later, shut down. I also heard later that the waitress that I had, had seen me there before, took pictures. I said, well, you know, I was busy with the Lord. I did, you know, This is how they told me afterwards. Well, I, told, I said, listen, you go back to your doctor. You demand to be retested. Her nurse was right there and saw it. Well, the Saturday before Christmas, I'm back at this restaurant. And, and I'm you know, waiting for my breakfast, and up comes this 12-year-old boy. And he says, I want to thank you. I'm going to have my mama for Christmas. Then the woman, Kathy, that I prayed for, came up. The RN came up with her 12-year-old son. And we just had a good hugging time. But that's, that's why you have to reach out to people because you have the power, you have the authority. Miracles can happen. And sometimes you you pray for someone, you might not see the results, but trust God, because you'll see him in heaven. And you'll hear all about it if you don't hear directly. But there was a stage, stage four, less than a month to live, and look at what God can do. That's what God can do if you allow him, if you believe, if you trust him and you keep thanking the Lord. It's awesome what the Lord can do.
0: Let's go, let's go to Rika. Okay, let's do another one, and then let's go to Rika. Okay.
1: Um, I, I, this, is, this is really beautiful, I think. Um, I don't babysit, really. I'm a grandmother, but I don't babysit. Uh, I got a phone call from a stranger And um, I was recommended to babysit, and I like this is a Saturday before Christmas a few years back, and I says, Well, I don't babysit. Oh, it's for my husband. It was an older woman. Oh, it's for my husband. I go, You want a babysitter for your husband? Yeah, he has Alzheimer's, and I've been with him all this time, and and I, I I haven't been out yet. Get ready for Christmas and could you just come for four or five hours and just sit with him? He he, he has, yeah, he's in final stages of all time. And so, make a long story short, the address he gave, it was an expensive house, beautiful. Single family, uh, go through the garage, in the elevator, up and across this this long floor. Um, And here sat, sat a gentleman, just totally sitting, not talking, not moving, doing nothing, just sitting there. And the woman, the wife, she mentioned a couple things about it. Well, he, end stage of Alzheimer's, um, they retired a couple years ago. They had owned a famous uh, Italian restaurant in uh, Detroit. He liked to golf, and he liked to play tennis. Okay. So I, I took a friend with me, and um, sometimes I have people with me, sometimes I don't. So she headed out. They, they, they were like 65, 66 years old. She headed out, you know, she, she wanted to get her hair done, her nails done, uh, you know, go to lunch, do some Christmas shopping. Well, so the person I was with, and I, we started talking. We're both great talkers. And we started talking about Italian food, Italian restaurants, golfing we noticed that he was hearing us. And the more we talked, the more he heard us. And so we, we, once he started, you know, sort of loosening up, you might say, it was amazing. We, the person I was with and I tag-teamed, I don't know, that means one prays, one talks, okay? So you're covered by prayer and you're covered by talk. So we tag-teamed. One would be praying while the other one was talking, talking to bring him out from where he was and praying to get him out from where he was. Wow. And, and so we tagged him and we tagged him and he, he, he got into the conversation, he started to move around, he, I mean, he, he came alive. About, it was about four hours when Gene came home, that was his wife, he heard her car pull in the garage. I didn't hear it, but he was listening. I mean, he was normal, better than normal. He got up, and the room was almost the length of this room right here. He walked all of that by himself, stood at the elevator, and when the elevator opened up, his wife was totally surprised. He was standing there on his own talking to her. She, I mean, you couldn't give her a better Christmas present. So, I mean, that's all time is. There's nothing impossible with God. Just, if God says do it, do it. Because the Holy Ghost does it, not you, not me. It is awesome what God wants you to do, if you listen, if you obey, if you communicate, if you have that relationship. It's awesome, um, just like, uh, coming home with no oxygen. And, and right now I'm on no oxygen. That was back in May, that I couldn't go. Right now, because it's air conditioning and I'm sitting, I'm off oxygen. If I step outside, I have to have my oxygen on. So I still have a couple issues, but it's getting much better from where it was. But um, not having cancer is fantastic. But I wanna thank you and remember always remember in the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, all things are possible. You know, if the doctor says something, so the report says that, what does the Bible say? What does the word say? Go by what the word says. And you'll see miracles. In Jesus' name.
0: That's amazing.
2: Well I I don't have such amazing miracles, I can't can't hang with you Shirley, I can't hang with you. So I just want to kind of encourage everybody because um, my walk with the Lord was really accelerated basically in seven years. I grew up in the church but um, in South Africa our church was really dull. The Holy Spirit was there but it was not released and invited really, it wasn't encouraged. So when we got to Elevate, um, things changed for us so rapidly. And it started with my husband actually coming here first and um, getting prophetic word and and was so specific and so um, touching that um, I was uh, renovating the house um, so that we could sell it so that I can come down too. And um, I was getting the wildest dreams and visions that I've never experienced before and didn't know how to channel it. It was just totally new to me. and so I just want to encourage you that there's no God in, God incidences, uh, it's, it's coincidence, sorry, there's only God incidences. Um, and the Lord speaks at so many levels and so many facets through numbers, through colors, through people, through prophecy. Don't discount anything that you hear or see. Um, we started having uh, experiences of, of um, numbers, and it, I'm not talking about lucky numbers or, or angel numbers. It's... The, the book Numbers in Leviticus is actually one of my favorite books now because the Lord speaks through numbers. And so um, the, my first experience was with Deuteronomy 2812 um, when I was praying for South Africa. And um, two hours later, I think Alex actually got it up there for me. Um, it was five o'clock in the morning and Millie and Hank was praying with us in their house for South Africa for rain um, because there was a terrible drought in South Africa. Two hours later, I was actually um, speaking this scripture over South Africa. Two hours later, on my phone, um, my Bible app sends me a a daily scripture, and it was exactly this scripture. And and at that moment, at 7 o'clock in the morning, on a Saturday morning, it started raining. Now, I'm not saying I caused the rain. Everybody. There was about 50,000 people praying. But the Lord confirmed my yearning and my heart and saying, I see your yearning. I see your heart. Fast forward, Alex's dad sits in India, doesn't know me from Adam. And um, he sends me a birthday card on my, on my birthday. And uh, he could, you know, there's communication difficulties. Does, English is not so good. But he quotes this scripture in my birthday card. And Alex didn't know that's my birthday card. Then. Um, Heinz started. he dreamt about 2828 and we didn't know what it was meaning we didn't know how to research it so we were just kind of following course with the 28 it came to pass that we chose on April the 28th 2018 to be baptized we didn't talk to each other Uh, that morning we just decided because we were baptized as babies we decided we'll be baptized as adults come to a pass when we as we were driving to the, um, where we were going to get baptized with Pastor Kevin, we realized it was April 28th. And um, we, we were late because we decided it like that morning, we didn't even talk about it, and there was no parking. And as we pulled up to get baptized, the park ranger pulled out of his parking, because we couldn't find them. We couldn't find them. The park ranger pulled out of the parking place and said, hey, you can take this parking. And it was a park ranger's parking spot right across from where the guys were and they were on their way to the water that we would have missed them if we were a little later and trying to find parking space as we researched 28 even further um it i realized and i looked at my passports that we came on april 28, 98 to the usa so that's exactly 20 years later after we came to the usa so I researched 28 and, it, and in the Bible it means seasons, right? It has 28 days in a month. A woman has 28 days in her period. And Ecclesiastics have exactly 28 seasons mentioned. So one day I came home and Heinz said, and he's almost in, like emotional and I'm like, why? And he's like, I realized what 2828 means. And he said, I was baking bread and the Lord told me to look at Isaiah 28:28. 28, 28. And if you read it, remember my husband was baking bread. <laughs> and that was just so amazing because we were going through a tough time. This is not an easy walk, you know. Um, Pastor Kevin always say the Holy Spirit is not gonna work harder than you do, right? And so the scripture, Proverbs 25, two, it's for God to conceal the matter. And for you to seek it out. And you have to keep on digging and digging. Everything that you encounter is not a coincidence. If you walk with the Lord, he's talking to you daily. If you're at your cell group, there's constant talk and, and things that are mentioned. Prayers that are answered. The, 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 the prayers that have been answered on the cell groups um, of people and things that are coming through, it's, it's amazing. You have to tap into that support system to... Um, Experience all these things I have a couple more things, but I think we're running out of time now. We're good. We're good. Okay, so um, I was moving down from Pennsylvania. My husband was already here. I was renovating the house I did crazy stuff to the house that I've never knew that I could do but I was listening to the sermons of Pastor Kevin through the night and working through the night. I installed extractor fans and um, replaced doors and it's just crazy what I did to the house. I didn't know where I got the strength from because I was still working at that time. But I went to work and people said, well, now you have to sell your house. And I am told them, yeah, and I know nothing about prophetic. I said to them, yeah, my house is going to sell in one day. So my, mark, my realtor came to my house. They, uh, the Friday, the Sunday, we set up an open house. The Monday my house was sold. I drove down here with Hein. Hein came to, and they want to settle fast, So because me and Hein were separated for like 16, uh, no, yeah, almost 16 months that he was down here, and I was up there finishing the house. I drove down. I didn't have a job. And while I'm driving down, my manager up up north calls me and says, they just fired a PT uh, or a person down here. Do you want the job? And it was like within five miles from my house. So then when we, when we um, for me to get my job back here, I had to reapply for my physical therapy license in Florida. It lapsed for 20 years, so I didn't keep it up because I was working in Pennsylvania, and it would have taken almost uh, six months to get my license because I had to request all my paperwork from South Africa again. I called the licensing department just to find out what I need. And she's like, you don't need anything. You can have your license within two days. That's just impossible. Wow. We were preparing ourselves for a long, long, long thing. Uh, just another quick thing. Um, so the Lord has spoken to us and, and given us a, a destiny calling of, of being benefactors or you know, partnering with certain um, organizations or groups and things like that. So Shelly meets a couple in, South, uh, in um, Starbucks and she hears that they have a heavy accent and blah, blah, blah. Comes to find that this is uh, a couple that does missionary work in the Amazon, um, but they're also from South Africa and we are too. It took us almost three months to get to uh, meet them. There was so much pushback to meet them, to meet them. And finally we meet, we meet up with them and this guy and me actually grew up in the same neighborhood. So now this is 30 years later, we meet up in Miami. That's just the part of the story. We had a piece of property in South Africa and um, just before COVID, the Lord put it on our heart to sell it and we put it up for sale. And to sell property in South Africa is extremely hard. Come to pass, we found out we didn't even have the deed. We sold that property within two weeks, got all the money. And it was just before COVID. So when this couple from the Amazon, they got stuck in South Africa, we were able to help them out. That was the hardest thing. (laughs) The Lord said, be careful what you sign up for. But we, I mean, there's a partnership between us, but that's what the Lord is signing you up for. If you choose to pick a a certain destiny or a certain, make sure that you know what you're signing up for. Because we eventually then had to commit and help them. But it it was just such a weird way how we came to know each other.
0: Thank you ladies, that was awesome. Yeah, one more, real quick.
1: A quick one. Never give up. Never give up leading someone to the Lord. Never give up. I received a phone call from a lady asking if I would go with her to one of her friend's house who was a retired Marine like 40-year Marine. I mean, he was, and he had been sick and wanted to go and pray. So she picked me up, we went there, and he actually had an RN sitting next to him waiting for him to die. He was in a coma. And he had never given his life to the Lord, never give up on someone. So we started, we started talking and praying, and he came out of the coma. We tag team. That's why you know, Bible says two, two by two. One was praying. I let her because she knew the family, lead him to the Lord. We saw the joy of the Lord on him. He sl- and his wife heard the conversation, and saw it. He slipped back into the coma. And we went out and we talked, and and we heard a couple days later that he was with the Lord. But if she had not heard the Lord say, go to him, he would have gone to hell. So never give up. If the Lord tells you to do something, don't hesitate. Do it, because he's in heaven and not hell. Just a quickie.
0: All right, thank you ladies. Okay, so we're almost finished here. We're gonna wrap it up. But um, I wanted to tell you guys a couple things that happened after first service, okay? After first service, uh, we had three guys with back problems get prayed for and healed, Um, including, where's Jeremiah? Including Jeremiah, as one of them. Um, We had a few others on restoration, some knees, so it can happen. We're going to have a prayer team over here for everybody in just a second. We want you guys to go forward and start activating yourselves, right? Spread your testimony. Anything that you need prayer for today, please hit up the prayer team. They're ready. They're there for you, to help you. We are supposed to lean on each other as a body, and that's the whole point of this this morning, is to invigorate each other, strengthen each other, and pray for each other. So... Let's go through a uh, quick prayer and then we'll dismiss. If you can repeat after me, Father, Father you, are you are amazing. Today I have heard, have heard what you've done for others, and I seek your favor and blessing. Healing, Healing. Protection, protection, and blessing, and blessing. Are, my are my birthright as a son or daughter, of the King. I declare your healing, restoration, protection, favor, and blessing on my life. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right. So we're going to do a quick uh, prayer over you guys real quick before you go, and then the prayer team is over there, and uh, we'll get to it. Father, we just thank you for for the day that you've given us today and for your protection in coming and your protection in going. We ask for your blessing over everyone, and we declare love, life, and blessing on everybody in attendance today and that this week would be amazing. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Marcus?
2: anybody wants to hang around, we're gonna have a quick prayer for some of the folks uh, that's in the hospital.
3: We keep bringing yeah. When it's all said and done yeah. We just won't See hey.
2: Shelly, can you turn the music down a little bit? <laughs> Hi, guys. If you guys want-